Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Hello and welcome in to another episode of The Hard Foul. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler, and with me as always from GameTalkCentral.com is Colin Taylor. Now, Colin... This is the hard foul. That's a generic open-ended basketball name, although we mostly do South Carolina basketball. Every once in a while, we will venture into bigger picture SEC basketball, sometimes even the national picture around college basketball, and sprinkle in a little bit of NBA. And I will just put as a full disclosure right here, there's some uh, big recruiting news for South Carolina that we're going to start with and was the initial impetus for this podcast. But we're recording this Thursday morning, and in light of the NBA's cancellation and it seems like postponement of their season as of right now. Uh, My understanding is that the NBA players and Board of Governors are set to meet here a little bit later this morning to decide the immediate future of the season. And while that is a little bit outside of our purview, this is still a basketball podcast, so we're going to talk about that. We will save it till the end of the podcast. So if you have decided that that's not any kind of coverage that you want, that'll be at the end of the podcast. And in the meantime, we will talk South Carolina basketball, we'll talk about some bigger picture SEC storylines in just a minute, but just wanted to put here as a full disclosure, uh, we are going to talk about that, but we are going to save it for the end of the podcast. Um, Colin, uh, in in the world of South Carolina, everything seems to have been going smoothly. You mentioned the basketball program is in an on-court phase, uh, not quite starting the preseason, but doing a little bit more than just working out. Obviously, you do a lot of great football coverage. You have a piece up on the on the website right now on GameCockCentral.com about Luke Doty and what his role is going to be this season. So you're busy. Uh, College sports are back in full swing in terms of how we're talking about them. And uh, while we're really looking forward to the season, uh, it's just amazing. The recruiting never sleeps. Obviously, basketball a little farther away than football, so not hugely surprising to get some basketball recruiting news. Um, And we don't do as much of that because there are just fewer spots, so fewer recruits to talk about in basketball. But uh, yesterday, or actually it may have even been like the night before, because it was like at midnight or 1 a.m., very late, South Carolina got a big commitment uh, from Carlos Williams, who's a three-star small forward. Walk me through his recruitment, um, starting with how he decided on midnight slash 1 a.m. to announce his decision. Yeah, um, I, I think you can hear the pain in my voice when I'm talking about having to break or announce the commitment at 1 a.m. Um, it was his birthday. Yeah, Wednesday, so that's why he wanted to do it. Then um, did it. He's from Mississippi, so obviously 1 a.m. is midnight central time. Um, so, yeah, 1 a.m. He originally told me when we were talking um, before his commitment, before as things were kind of trending that way, I asked him when he was going to announce, and he said 1 p.m. Eastern time. 
uh, on Wednesday and then obviously moved it up uh, to really delve into it with his birthday and then make it kind of a little bit more sentimental for him. So um, that's where that is right now. And um, yeah, it's from a recruitment standpoint, it happened pretty quick. South Carolina have been tracking him for about a year. Um, watched him play after a few coaches reached out to him uh, to South Carolina Watched him play this summer, uh, really liked what they saw, then obviously went and offered him late July, uh, had him on, you know, quote-unquote, on campus for a virtual visit. Uh, Loved what he heard from Frank Martin, loved what he heard from Bruce Shingler, and pulled the trigger on a commitment um, this week and kind of wrapped up the process pretty quickly, a guy that kind of knew what he wanted and um, moved on from there, yeah. So we've, uh, I guess Wes and Chris and I on another Carolina podcast have talked a lot about how the recruiting cycle has changed with recruiting being shut down. Obviously, no on-campus visits are happening. Uh, Even the immediate future of that as the football season draws a little bit closer is uncertain. But again, basketball recruiting is a little bit different. Uh, Not that that any sort of recruiting isn't about relationships, but basketball recruiting seems particularly about relationships. You're talking about a smaller group of guys. You're talking about more fit. Um, You're talking about a, a, a lot of a lot of small things that you don't necessarily have to talk about um, with football. This is a guy, class of 2021, he still has his senior year pending, but with so much up in the air, I guess at this point we should probably assume that basketball seasons are going to happen since most high school football seasons are going to happen at some point. Some of them have been pushed back to the spring, um, but they're going to happen at some point, and basketball starting as late as it does, That you think that would, you think that would, I guess, mostly answer those questions. But, Colin, do you anticipate, uh, or I guess what changes do you anticipate for this class of 2021 uh, in general, in terms of what kind of impact the pandemic will have had on the class? Yeah, I think you're going to see, just in talking with um, some assistants in South Carolina, I did a piece right when quarantine started um, where I talked to Chuck Martin and and Bruce Shingler about kind of how that's going to impact it. And, you know, Chuck made a really good point that you're going to see a lot more guys potentially go to, prep school for a year um, and reclassify, kind of do what Devin Carter did um, going from the 2020 class to the 2021 class and getting another year of essentially kind of prep school ball, which is a little bit different than high school, but not quite college yet. So it's kind of a a gap year um, for lack of a better word and where you can kind of hone your game a little bit. I I could see guys doing a little bit of that. So um, for those of you who kind of don't know how the recruitment process works is a lot of these guys, play high school ball, um, which is somewhat important, but the real important piece in terms of recruitment is these live AAU periods where um, guys get out and and go to all these different events with thousands of other kids, um, whether it's sponsored by Adidas, Nike, um, Under Armour, wherever, um, and they play on these circuits for the summer and, and college coaches. It's a really easy way for college coaches to go out and watch 10, 12, 20 guys over the course of a weekend. And, you know, it's easy to recruit that way and meet the people that, you know, that are obviously involved in their recruitment um, from their family, their coaches, whoever. Um, and that's kind of washed up this year. Um, the Nike, Nike's EYBL circuit um, obviously postponed. Um, you didn't have Peach Jam. You didn't have any of these big tournaments that, normally go in and and help these guys get recruited. So a lot of these 2021 guys who would have gone and and made some big strides or whatever, um, 
didn't get that opportunity. So I could see a lot of these guys who don't have as many opportunities as maybe, you know, the top, you know, 1%, 2% of these guys in the class, Mm -hmm. take a year of prep school, go um, wait for the live period uh, with the class of 2022, and then kind of see where the chips fall after that. Um, Because it's, it's hard. And um, if you didn't have enough traction, enough um, attention before this shutdown, um, then all of a sudden you're not going to be getting the same level of attention that you might have if, you know, everything kind of went off without a hitch. And that seems like a scenario in which uh, relationships that are established early on in a player's recruiting cycle are going to pay dividends. So not that schools like Kentucky and North Carolina and Duke don't identify talent early because they do, and I think they're on in early on guys, but they also have the ability to swoop in late in a kid's recruitment and say, hey, we, we know you have these you know, 11 other offers, but here's an offer from Kentucky. That's better than anything you have. It seems like maybe that will have a little bit less weight and maybe happen a little bit less um, if those schools that, again, are going to come in late won't necessarily have the opportunities to do the scouting later in the process and, you know, and for a kid that maybe wants to commit a little bit early. Because for, for Carlos Williams, again, like he still has his senior year to play. I don't know what a timeline would normally be for a kid like this. You know, three stars, has offers from you know places like Baylor, Houston, uh, both the big Mississippi schools. It, it's, this seems like a little bit of an early commit, and I, I wonder if we would just see more of that, for not for fear of not getting another spot elsewhere, but just, uh, I guess, with the understanding that the back end of this entire recruiting cycle might be a little bit up in the air depending on what these camps end up looking like. So what we've seen it a little bit with football where guys kind of tried to get in early. Well, Muschamp referred to them, referred to a lot of them as uh, reservations, maybe more than commitments. But I wonder if that will see more schools like South Carolina and some of the smaller schools that have to get in early with some of these guys uh, benefiting more than the bigger schools. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it does benefit South Carolina. I mean, you look at – um Carlos in particular had some big offers um, was actually really considering Baylor uh, for a very long time before they took two other wings in the class. And um, yeah. And it's one of these things too, where if you're a kid that, you know, you obviously want to see this recruitment process out, but you don't know what the spring evaluation period is going to look like. Um, and you have an offer you like, you like, you know, say for Carlos Williams, you love South Carolina, you love the coaching staff why wait and delay things in terms of a commitment? Now he's going to sign in the spring, but why delay your commitment until the spring hoping for anything else when you don't know what the spring's going to look like. So it makes sense for guys like him, for guys like Jacoby Wright um, to obviously kind of go ahead and commit. And, you know, if you like the offer, because, you know, you don't know what this is going to look like. And, you know, if you love the school and you love the program, you know, why not just go ahead and pull that trigger? Uh, and so for Williams, uh, he's a kid from Mississippi, and we know that basketball recruiting isn't as regionalized as a lot of other sports. Um, and I, I don't know exactly why that is. Maybe we'll have to do a deep dive into exactly why that is, or you can give us a, a TLDR. But by and large, geography doesn't uh, determine those things in the same way that it does for football. Um, but I wonder if we will see uh, maybe a little more regionalization as, again, it's just sort of the the players that coaches have uh, more readily available access to. Uh, but regardless, for South Carolina to go into the state of Mississippi and beat out both Ole Miss and Mississippi State uh, feels like a significant get for South Carolina, even if you look at it and say, ah, three stars, you know, you know, whatever. I mean, that, that's great, that's good, that's, you know, 
the star rating, we can we can kind of have a referendum on that too, but we don't need to do that right now. Uh, but beyond looking at that, again, I always like to look at offer lists and say, who else wanted this kid? And not only did the Mississippi schools want him, but for Carolina to go get this kid out of their backyard, I, I think speaks to a, a level of stability. And again, Frank Martin's always always been a recru- always been a good recruiter, always been someone that can sell the vision of his program, and I think is very respected in the basketball world. But now I, I think we're just seeing, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe a another level as South Carolina gets more of a reputation as a, as a real, again, it, it's weird because they're not contenders. They haven't been to the final four in a couple of years, but it seems like within the basketball community, there is just more consensus that South Carolina is building something and it is a place to go. And it is, as we've talked about somewhere that can develop a kid into a, a pro level talent. Um, and in the meantime, you're at least going to be competitive in one of the handful of best conferences in college basketball. Yeah, I mean, it's you're not having to sell a vision anymore. I mean, when Frank first got here, you know, you, you were around, you understood where that program was when he first took over, um, and the record kind of showed. Um, and he really had to sell a vision at that point. He really had to sell, hey, come help us build something here, um, instead of, hey, come help us take the next step in terms of, you know, consistently making the tournament. So, um, yeah, like when you're able to go into a recruit's home and, or, you know, now on these virtual visits and talk about graduation rate and talk about, you know, getting education while also vying for an NCAA tournament spot and competing for, you know, top four finishes in the SEC, which they've been doing for, you know, a while now, um, it helps. And you're seeing that in recruiting and, um, you look back in, you know, the 2018 class, you, you know, probably one of Frank's best classes um, to date. 19, again, one of Frank's best classes to date. Uh, 2020 still obviously remains to be seen. 2021 still remains to be seen. But you have talent in those classes, and they're in with a lot more guys that have a lot of stars next to their name or have a pretty high number when it comes to their, you know, national ranking. And, um it's because of the perception of the program. It's because he hired really good assistants with really good recruiting skills. And um, you're seeing the benefits of that. And, you know, now instead of just being able to take some guys to fill out a roster, you know, at times they can kind of be a little bit more selective and, and recruit and pulling guys that they really want instead of having to try to sell a dream or sell a you know, vision for the program. And that really helps in recruiting and you're kind of seeing it on the trail right now. And with all that said, Williams listed at 6'6", 230, again, still with a year of high school basketball to play. So he has another year to grow. I don't know how much taller he's going to get. And then of course, once you get into a college weight program, you can really transform your body, but someone that already physically looks ready. Uh, I mean, looks ready to, to sort of play the part in that, in that swing man three, maybe four kind of role for South Carolina. So from the conversations that you've had and from what you've seen of Williams, what kind of player is South Carolina getting? Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that um, is was described to me as the second best player in Mississippi right now, um, just in the entire state. And he's athletic. He can dribble the ball for a guy that's built like a damn SEC linebacker. Um, I think 6'6", 238 pounds is what he is. Um so he dribbles the ball really well. His shot's coming around defensively. Um, he's kind of where South Carolina wants him to be. Uh, they really, really like his game um, and think he can come in and 
make an impact early, but turn into one of those really, really good, um, like four-year players to where you look up and as a you know sophomore, junior, senior, he's playing pretty pivotal minutes and playing them well. Mm-hmm. So um, they kind of like his upside too. Uh, they like his game where it is right now and then kind of where it projects to be. And he's another guy that, yes, you know, he had offers from Baylor and Houston and um, the Mississippi schools, um, but kind of underrated too because he didn't get this live period this summer to what to the extent that you know they would normally get it. Uh, so coaches weren't able to really get into a gym and watch him play, um, and that helped kind of keep him maybe a little bit under the radar compared to some other things. I know uh, once South Carolina show, started showing interest, Texas A&M really started to try to get into the mix with him too, and. Um, yeah, it's one of those things where he's got a really good game, uh, can dribble the ball well, can push the pace, um, can finish around the rim, get to the rim, which is important in Frank Martin's system, and um, a guy that they really kind of flew under the radar for a lot of other teams and, and took away from some of the big boys around him, um, which is a pretty big um, get for South Carolina. And I know I'm rambling, but we talk about others, you know, you talk about in-state recruiting at South Carolina and, you know, other schools coming into, you know, South Carolina and pulling people away and out of state, but South Carolina just went into Mississippi and landed a recruit over Ole Miss and Mississippi state. Um, so there's something to be said for that too. So I see six, six and I, I'm thinking three, four, and you mentioned his handling ability. So I'm imagining a Keyshawn Bryant, uh, Keyshawn Bryant type. Now, obviously a little bit bigger than Bryant. I don't, I don't know what Bryant's listed. I probably, you know, 210 maybe I have no idea it sounds like this guy's already a little bit bigger is it that level of handle and does he have that kind of explosiveness or is he going to be um, you know maybe more in the Justin Manaya mold with a, with a little more maybe with a little more bounce off the dribble probably a little bit I would say a mixture of both um, I don't think he's as explosive right now as Keyshawn Bryant or Keyshawn Bryant was coming out of high school uh, but he's good I mean he's a guy that can I mean has some explosive dunks um, probably a little bit more physical than Bryant, probably more in the mold there of, of Manaya, but a guy that can obviously um, do a lot of different things, and I think they're going to ask him to once he gets on campus. That's Carlos Williams again, three stars, uh, Baylor, Houston, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, class of 2021. I, I guess I'll ask you this too because I've been asking Wes and Chris this as it pertains to uh, the football commits. I say that in air quotes because, again, Will Muschamp has said a lot of them, um, especially the ones that are earlier in the process, maybe a little more reservations than commits. Um, but is this a pretty solid commitment from Williams? Yeah. I mean, he. I know he wants to wait till the spring, and I think he mentioned on Phil Cornblue's show that it was because his grandfather passed away um, in April, so he wants to sign in April to kind of honor his memory. Um, so that's kind of why he wants to wait. But, I mean, even he tweeted the other day, he said he's 120% committed to South Carolina. So, um I don't think I'm worried about his commitment right now. Obviously, when a guy waits, um, obviously you're worried about other schools kind of swooping in, but I'm not overly, overtly worried about that right now. So there we go. If anything changes with Williams, we will certainly let you know right here on the podcast. I'm sure Colin Taylor will have it on GamecockCentral.com and his Twitter feed before we get a chance to even talk about it on here. So follow him there, read him there, and he'll have all the updates you need. Uh, as it pertains to South Carolina basketball. Uh, before we zoom out and, and talk a little SEC basketball, uh, we talked last week just about South Carolina getting back on the court, workouts. Uh, nothing has changed, no timeline, no updates. Uh, and, and, again, this is, I think, a case of uh, no news is good news, but no uh, big news out of South Carolina's basketball preseason in the last week or so? 
Not really. I mean, everything's kind of going off and, and they're kind of getting ready to amp things up this week. And um, we should know more about kind of where things stand as the, the month ends and we get into September. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I, I guess if the, uh, if the entire South Carolina basketball program had to shut down because of a coronavirus outbreak, we would, we would know about it. So it's good that we don't know anything because that means that that probably has not uh, happened. So again, we'll keep you posted on that. And especially uh, once we get a clearer picture of what the schedule is going to look like, which Colin outlined the timeline for that in uh, last week's podcast. So still probably a couple weeks off um, from that, but we'll keep you posted as soon as we find anything out. The big story in the SEC, and this is, I guess, been the big story for a while or has been the big story before, but yesterday the NCAA uh, came out and said that they have uh, more evidence that Will Wade has paid uh, inel- or paid ineligible players impermissible benefits. Uh, as many as eleven players were named, and you know, Colin, we've we've kind of gone through this entire story before, it, like like almost a year ago, maybe even over a year ago at this point. The FBI was involved. They found a wiretap. So, based on what you have learned in the last twenty four forty eight hours, what is new? in the Will Wade saga from what we had already learned about a year ago? Um, nothing. I mean, I feel like you're reading this article and you're like, yeah, we knew all this stuff. Um, I'm not shocked by it. I mean, when you have Will Wade on wiretaps saying, and excuse my language, but you know, we're going to make him a strong ass offer. Like that leads you to believe that something nefarious was going on there. And now it looks like, you know, we have more proof to be in the pudding and um, not shocked. Um, I think that this is something that's been kind of building for a while. And uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, not shocked in one one bit that uh, Will Wade has been kind of caught up in this because it feels like it's been a long time coming. Right. And and I guess at the at the time I was like, well, this is this is bad news for him. And, you know, of course, it was wait and see because it was the FBI investigation and the NCAA had to go through whatever its own protocols were. Um, and, and I guess whenever you enter the NCAA, you always have to put the asterisk and the caveat. It's like, well, we don't know what the NCAA is going to do with all of this information that seems just abundantly clear. But again, based on what we learned a year ago, based on, uh, I guess, the development yesterday, I mean, I guess I'll just ask it like this, sort of cynically, but I mean, do you do you expect anything to happen with Will Wade? Because if he were going to be fired, it seems like it would have happened over a year ago. I understand the NCAA wants to you know, run through its discourse and, again, its protocols. But do you imagine that this, that this uh, I guess, that the NCAA finally getting around to it will, will actually change the course of his career or LSU basketball or basketball in the SEC? Remains to be seen. I mean, I've been saying for a while it's, it's really hard to see Will Wade keeping his job, yet here he is in Baton Rouge still able to recruit and coach and do all this stuff. So um, who knows? Um, I think that you're – getting to the point where you're making a stronger case to relieve him of his duties. I know he restructured his contract to be fired with, with cause if he gets a level one violation levied against him. And um, the way things are going, the the article yesterday from ESPN looks like a lot of level one violations. I just can't, I, I can't figure out why um, this has taken so long. Again, when you have all this on a wiretap, and again, I, I got an ESPN notification a couple days ago when it was like, Will Wade had, made impermissible payments to at least 11 recruits. I was like, didn't we already know this? And and not only that, but like, I don't, I don't know how extensive the investigation had to be. If, if you have everything on a, on a wiretap, you know, I don't, I don't know how this has been so complicated. So I just, I, I feel like I, I, I don't expect anything to happen at this point, And I don't know 
what kind of precedent that sets. And again, we know the NCAA is inconsistent at best with its punishments. But when this FBI story broke for the first time, you know, two, two and a half, maybe even three years ago, I don't, I don't remember when exactly it broke, but I just remember sitting outside of this building that I'm in right now thinking like, man, this could like, this could, this could blow the whole thing up. And, you know, some heads have rolled, but it has largely sort of blown over. And this was, uh, you know, kind of another entry in that. And it, it seems like kind of the same thing. So, uh, you know, Colin, I, I don't know if, I don't know if this is ever going to change like I thought it was. I don't know if it needs to change. I mean, it, it would be nice, I guess, because college basketball and, and the AAU system that feeds into it are, are so corrupt. But, I mean, if this if this does not yield any uh, significant punishment, any significant slap on the wrist, example-making, and I'm not saying necessarily that it should. I don't want to be draconian and, and call for capital punishment or anything here. But, it, I mean, it just seems like if nothing comes of this, then I just don't know what the point of, of – you know, even having the NCAA as an organizing body to try to keep these things from happening is anymore. Yeah, I mean, what's the saying? Like, the only thing a good ten uh, foot wall is good for is sells sales for eleven foot ladders. I mean, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, you know, if you crack down on the way he's doing it, another coach is going to find another better way to do it, and and find a way to circumvent rules. Um, it's been going on for years. It will continue to go on for years. Um, and, I, you know, I know that's probably macabre of me to talk about or, you know, pessimistic or, you know, whatever you want to call it. But, I mean, when it's been going on for the way it's been going on and um, it's hard to see it changing unless, you know, sweeping changes are made to either the NCAA or the AAU circuit or things like that. Um, it's hard to see. And then don't get me wrong. There are great AAU coaches out there. I've met them. I talked to them. They're really good ones out there. Um, but, you know, one rotten apple can ruin the bunch. Um, a few rotten apples can ruin the entire thing sometimes. And um, that's kind of where we are right now with the AAU circuit and the games and, and stuff like that. How will this impact recruiting? Because on the one hand, I imagine players will look at this and say, well, hey, you know, there's there's some there's some instability there. I don't want to go to a program that's, you know, maybe going to get slapped with, you know, all sorts of, you know, punishments, reduction of scholarship, you know, all these kinds of things. But on the other hand, you know, words getting around. It's like, hey, Will Wade's going to pay you, and uh, if you're not going to get in trouble for it, maybe maybe that's going to help LSU in the long run. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to change a little bit. You're already seeing some shifts in kind of the way the summer's structured with fewer live events uh, from an AAU circuit point, and they're actually doing – they did a weekend. Um, they would have done it this year if they obviously had a live period, um, but where you play with your high school team where you play, you know, in your home state with your high school team and kind of a jamboree situation over the summer, um, which gives coaches obviously a chance to go out and watch and do all this, and, you know, stuff. And um, I think you might see a little bit more of that, more playing with your high school team, more playing kind of localized instead of flying to Vegas and, you know, New York or Indianapolis or Georgia or wherever for um, a weekend you might play with your high school team. Um, at a centralized location in the state or something like that um, to get a little bit more exposure there and coaches can kind of divvy up how they go. So um, I think you're going to see some small tweaks. Things are kind of trending in that direction and um, it'll be interesting to track as, you know, more stuff comes out about Will Wade and kind of the AAU programs that are trying to capitalize on these kids um, in ways they probably shouldn't. So there are 353, is that the number, or 354 Division One college basketball programs? I think 353. 353. All right. 
So of the 353, how many have at least one member of the coaching staff doing something like this? Again, maybe not on the scale where you have 11 recruits, which is like, you know, three full classes worth. But how, I mean, we know that this is happening in a lot of places. Is it happening in 353 places? Is it happening in 300? Or is it only happening in 53? Yeah, I probably tend to, you know, fewer than most. I mean, but I now if you ask me, what percentage of the you know 353 has had coaches that have contemplated it? I would say a lot more, <laughs> yeah. just because I mean there's so much pressure around it to win and to get you know a lot of these coaches want to win these you know recruiting battles and win recruiting you know rankings and land as many top 50 or top 100 or 150 kids that you know there is pressure to. Mm-hmm. you know, offer this or that or the other, or listen to agents or, you know, these AAU coaches or shoe companies. And um, there's pressure there. But do I think, I don't think a lot of the coaches are really, you know, taking that next step and capitalizing on it. And um, it's a small percentage, I would assume, I would think. And the problem is, is that you have this this small percentage of, of top schools that are doing it that are going to ruin it for the rest of the bunch because it's been so rampant in those, you know, the schools that are doing it are schools that are doing it rampantly. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the issue that the NCAA has got to figure out. Well, the reason that I ask is not because I'm I'm trying to get anybody in trouble and I'm not trying to get you in trouble or or you to out anybody or or anything like that. But just to say, it seems like this is happening a lot. And if your estimation is right, then I I think that, you know, what's happening now is, is probably the right solution in terms of just saying, hey, you know, we will, We'll do what we can, and again, you can't trust the NCAA to get these things right, but at least in terms of just trying to identify the, the people that are actually doing it wrong, because my inclination would be, and based on based on nothing really, would just be that it's happening in more places than fewer, and if that's the case, like, is there something dramatically that needs to shift in terms of how this is regulated within college basketball? You hinted at some you know tweaks here and there, but, I mean, does this... How do you how do you approach this? I mean, I guess, like you said, if if it's happening at fewer places, then you you try to just do what you can to nip those like smaller isolated instances in the bud. But if this is more widespread, if it's as widespread as I think it is, you know, how do you fix that? Yeah, you got to scale back on the AAU side of things. You know, um, if someone's, you know, I guess you know, I hate using the you know, addicted to something, you take away those things and you get them help and you, you know, tweak it to where they can't have access to some of those things. Um, same with AAU. Like if the AAU system is running rampant, um, you kind of scale back on the number of AAU events and AAU things that you can go to or you can see or things like that. And um, the high school league evaluation things are something that's kind of taken hold. And I know Frank Martin likes it a lot and because we talked to him at one of those events last year about it, and he kind of went on the record on it, and um, he likes it. And I, I think that if you scale back some of the AAU stuff, which is what they've kind of tried to do, um, I'm not in favor of getting rid of AAU as a whole. I think AAU does a lot of good things, but um, kind of balancing it out between you, the, the number of high school events you can have uh, over the summer versus the number of AAU events to where – you kind of see players in different settings and it helps the evaluation period. And it tries to cut down on some of the, you know, nefarious things that are going on um, the way they're going on. I wonder if some of this will change too. Now, again, I think it'll, I think it'll change. I think it'll sort of move the line more than eliminate it. But as the NBA has their eyes uh, their I guess their 
their calendar circled in pencil. 2022 is the date that they're going to allow high schoolers into the NBA directly out of high school without having to go do the one-and-done route. And as the G League becomes a more viable option, as we've seen in the last couple of years, a lot of players, a lot of top high schoolers are either choosing to go abroad or specifically this coming year choosing to take their talents to the G League, if indeed there is a G League. And we're going to talk about that, uh, the NBA part of this, in, in just a second. But I wonder how much that moves the line because you're eliminating essentially the the, the highest market guys. If, if you say someone like Zion's going to fetch you know half a million dollars to go play college basketball and he – in, a, in an alternate universe, decides to go straight to the NBA, goes to the G League, takes the RJ Hampton route and goes to New Zealand or whatever, that sort of moves the line. Now, there's still going to be a top class of players that are actually in college basketball, but they represent, I, I think, smaller a smaller portion of the market value when, when you look at you know how much, is, uh, how much is required to get these guys on campus and into programs. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for players going to the G League, players going to you know, overseas or wherever, the more good basketball we get, number one in America and number two across the world, um, is a good thing, I think. Um, college basketball will be fine if Zion does not play in it. Um, college basketball will be fine if um, Emily Bates does not play in it. Um, I, I think it's going to change a little bit, and I think that you're going to have more guys choosing the G League because, you know, you can say – unless a kid really wants to go to college and really wants to play in the NCAA tournament and make a final four or whatever, um, you're going to say, well, why should I risk taking X amount of money from this coach? If that does happen um, to potentially have things blow up um, and, and put this school in, you know, on probation or, you know, have sanctions levied against them or where I could take that money again and, um, go play in the G league or go play overseas to where I'm not having, you know, I'm a professional at that point. I don't have to worry about where the money comes from or any recruiting violations or things like that. So um, it's going to change. I think college basketball is going to be fine. If, you know, you don't get Zion um, per, you know, per se or whatever. Um, but you're still going to have good players. Like when the one and done rule was still going on, college basketball was fine without Kobe Bryant it was fine without, LeBron James or um, Kevin Garnett or things like that because you have other stars. I mean, when you look at, you know, let's say the one-and-done rule put Zion out, um, you're still going to have other players that don't go one-and-done. You're only going to have maybe two, three, four guys that are really one-and-dones, and the rest of them have to come to school or have to go to um, – you know, the G League or whatever. Um, like, you know, for Zion's year, you still would have would have had Grant Williams. You still would have probably had Jared Culver, Carson Edwards, Cassius Winston, Brandon Clark, all these guys that are good players that still give you some star power mm -hmm. in college basketball. So I think that's going to be absolutely fine if things change the way where players go, where things, you know, how things stand there. And that's always been my case, you know. It's it's like I said, it's, it's going to move the line, but you're still going to like someone's still going to be the best player in college basketball, and he's still going to be really good, and he's still probably going to have an NBA career. But if in the meantime, what it means is we get a little more continuity, especially for the you know the more mid-sized programs. Was it was it Purdue a couple years ago that uh, made the NCAA tournament and had like you know 70 seniors on their team, and then you know the next year you know it's like oh you know kind of back to square one. But it's a fun story, and you see teams that teams that are built like that. I think I mean they they play differently and there's a there's sort of a different feel to the game and if we get a little more 
uh, diversity and a few more of those programs to intersperse with you know the, the teams that are just chock full of one and duns or at least you know have one or two one and duns and then a couple of veterans around them i think that's i think that's good for the game so again i, I think all this is is going to start to change even if even and this is a, like a, a whole big tangent we we started talking about will wade but even if nothing happens uh with will wade i think some of these other things that are in motion with regards to the college basketball uh, the current state of college basketball in the nba will will start to kind of to move it and shift some of these things and hopefully uh, i think for the better but uh, again will wade Impermissible benefits, as many as 11 players. Um, again, I don't know how, how how different I expect this to go this time. Uh, I guess the first time was the FBI. This is the NCAA, so the NCAA can actually do something, but uh, what they actually do remains to be seen, and we'll just we'll continue to, to monitor that as sort of a, a developing story. Before we get out of here, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, and I almost felt weird not starting with this because this is the biggest story in sports right now, but I said this is a, you know mostly a Carolina basketball podcast, so we do a little Carolina basketball a little SEC, but as we sit here again recording on a Thursday morning, the NBA had three games scheduled for yesterday, all of which were boycotted by the players. I think it was sort of, basically started by the Bucks. The Bucks and the Magic were supposed to play at four. This charge was led by the Milwaukee Bucks, and they said we're not going to play this game as a boycott to try to bring attention to the continued racial injustices, particularly Bruce, uh, police brutality, all around the country in light of Jacob Blake's shooting in Wisconsin just a couple of days ago. The rest of the players on the rest of the teams that were supposed to play yesterday followed suit. Last night, the Lakers and Clippers agreed that they wanted to postpone the season while the other 28 teams, or I guess the other 14 teams that are currently involved in the playoffs, well, I guess fewer than that now because a couple have been eliminated, but the other teams uh, said no. You know, we want to keep playing the season, and, and it makes sense, and this now becomes a very complicated issue, one that I expect to kind of come to a head here in the next couple of days as, again, the NBA Board of Governors are set to meet a little bit later this morning, as are the NBA Players and the Players Association. And I, I guess I said the playoff teams, but I'm, I guess all the teams would probably be involved in this if it gets to uh, some sort of collective bargaining issue between the uh, NBA, MBPA and uh, the NBA Board of Governors. But, Colin, this is uh, this is in some ways – a very clear and easy to define issue. The NBA players have a platform and they're taking advantage of it to draw attention again to the racial injustices that are being perpetrated across the country right now and saying, we have this platform. We feel like this will cause people to to pay attention and, and to, I guess, try to affect a positive change that as yet has not been affected clearly but on the other hand, to me, it feels precarious because in some ways they are taking away their platform. And I wonder if playing the games, and I understand you know, having Black Lives Matter on the court and having uh, different sayings, uh, verbiages on the back of their jerseys in support of various movements, you know, Black Lives Matter and related movements, I, I think there is a lot of power to that. But more than that, we saw just a couple nights ago Doc Rivers after the Clippers beat the Mavericks, he's in a media room. He's full of reporters, TV cameras, newspaper writers, blog writers, radio people, all sorts of people. He has a captive audience, more eyeballs on him than he will ever have, and he's able to use that platform to speak his mind. It said some you know, incredibly moving things, very emotional, very raw. Those things went viral. And I wonder if, I'm not saying that this is not well-intentioned, but I wonder if in the long term it would be more beneficial for the players to continue to use the platform that they have than to 
take away their platform, which I, I'm worried is what they're doing right now. Yeah, I mean, I watched Doc Rivers' comments uh, yesterday. I watched the NBA on TNT's response to them that night. Um, Kenny the Jet, man, he was phenomenal on um, Tuesday night talking about it and obviously made a big move walking off set yesterday. And then Chris Weber's been um, pretty, you know, he, he had some pretty strong words on Wednesday as, as the, the news was trickling out. And whether you agree with it or not, it's historic. Um, sports has kind of always been, you know, you hear it all the time with, you know, in, in wartime and, um, during a pandemic and during fights for racial and social justice, um, sports has been the distraction. Um, sports has been, for the most part, um, now I'm not saying sports and politics because they have you know crossed paths for decades, um, but you hear it all the time about sports being the distraction from the regular world. Um, this is this is the players coming out and saying we're not going to be the distraction anymore. Um, the, I mean, the players are saying we're not going to be the, the people that let you take a break from the crap that's going on in the world, and, and we want you to have to think about it. We want you to have to really sit down and critically think about all of these things, and um, whether or not you agree with it, that's pretty powerful. Um, and I think that this is this is not the end. I mean, you've seen it in the MLB, um, and it's it's something that's going to have to change. I mean, you're going to have to see some change if you want the NBA back. You're going to have to see some change if you want MLB teams to continue to play. Um, I don't think this is going away for a while. And, mm-hmm. and this is this is kind of the norm now. And, and players are using their platform more than, you know, they have in a very, very long time. And, and people can say, you know, well, uh, we won't, you know, get paid millions of dollars and, and you're on TV and whatever to, to say these things. And, and you shouldn't, you shouldn't use this platform the way you're doing, but you know, when you do have the platform you have and you are a multimillionaire and, and you have eyeballs on you, why not use your platform uh, for whatever you want to say? And um, whether people agree with it or not, you know, this is a peaceful protest. This is a peaceful boycott. They haven't hurt anybody. They haven't, you know, um, done anything like that. And so uh, this is going to be the norm for a little bit, I think, um, as, you know, people really want change. And um, I think you're not going to see that end anytime soon. I I don't think so either. Um, And and again, I I fully support them using their platform this way. And it's, it's, uh, I mean, I I don't know what to call it, ironic, uh, spooky, coincidental, whatever, but that, this all happened yesterday on August 26th, and I'm sure you've seen this by now, but it was exactly four years ago, August 26, 2016, that Colin Kaepernick first took a knee during the national anthem. And even at that time, you know, I, I was I was outspokenly in support of Colin Kaepernick, and that was very unpopular around here, at least as I was espousing that. But I said, I fully support what Colin Kaepernick is doing. I, I think that I, I think that something needs to be done, and I appreciate him using his platform like this. But... I fear that what I fear that his message is going to get lost and people are going to make it about the knee. People are going to make it about the national anthem and they're not going to make it about police brutality there that they will find a way to, to sort of distort this. And look, if you're out to do that, you're going to find a way to distort anything. But I, I wonder 
I, I wonder how long the NBA doing this. It, I wonder how long it continues to be because right now it's a huge story and it should be and it will be it will be for for a while especially if they boycott and they abandon the playoffs you know right at the end of the first round that's going to be a huge story that's going to have a, a very long impact and if this goes into next year and I've already seen conversations about a potential lockout if if that continues then I think that's a good thing but what what worries me is that for the vast majority of people obviously Colin you and you and I Colin you and I are the exception because we are inundated with sports all the time, that's our job. But for the vast majority of people, if the NBA goes away, then those players just aren't going to have the same platform. Again, it works today. It works in the short term. And I also don't think they should just get back and play today because if you boycott yesterday and then you get back today, I don't really know uh, other than like saying, hey, you know, like listen to us, but also we're going to get back to it. Like I think for them it's important to to set some goals and say we need this to be done before we can – get back to playing. So I, I don't think that they should just get back to it because I think that's in some ways diminishes what they did yesterday. But like long term, you know, my mom is not a sports fan. She I'm sure knows about this because it's a huge story. But if this goes on for months and months and months, you know, she's she's not someone that's gonna tune into the NBA anyway, but she's gonna hear even less from LeBron James, Doc Rivers. You know, I'm sure these things have crossed her timeline because, you know, these guys are using their platform like this, but if they just go away, you know, she, uh, who I think is a you know pretty representative part of the population, is not gonna. It, it just isn't gonna get any of that content. Just isn't gonna ha- see any of their any of their platform or, or any w- what they're trying to do. So I, I think there's a there's a delicate balancing act here. And again, it's it's really hard for me to sit up here and I'm I'm not gonna criticize. I, I have an opinion, of course, but I mean this is this is not an experience that I can intelligently or or empathetically speak about sympathetically sure but i mean i i I can't even pretend to understand the african-american experience in the united states so i I, i'm not going to i I just i don't know look when i when i think critically about it i I feel like there are there are a lot of opportunities here and i just i I don't know the best way to you know pursue those opportunities and the best way for the players to maximize their platform but i would i would hate for this this to get lost in a political conversation like colin kaepernick's protest did four years ago yeah, and I don't want it to get hijacked by anything um, on either side politically where you have politicians trying to make it for their own gain either way, um, left, right, center, who cares? Um, I don't think this is a political issue. Um, I want them to take some next steps. I know that the Bucks were on, tried to get on the phone or got through to the Wisconsin you know, attorney general and some high-ranking political officials in the state there, which is huge. Um, to make their voices heard. And I think you're going to see more teams do that. And I think you're going to have to see more teams trying to you know, push legislation um, towards making things equitable or, you know, what they deem equitable for, you know, black people. Um, and I think that that shouldn't be politicized. I think that, that should just be, you know, on either side politicized, Um and I don't think it should have been NBA players having to make that push. Um, I think this should have been done by state legislators. I think this should have been done by whoever that to where the NBA didn't have to get involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, the NBA and the players are saying we, we can only do so much right now without you know, boycotting and going on strike. And, um, you know, they've come out and said, well, now it's like, well, the kneeling wasn't enough putting, you know, messages on the back of our jerseys wasn't enough. 
um, you know, putting Black Lives Matters on the court wasn't enough. What do we have to do to get people to listen to us and, and actually hear what we're trying to say? And this was the next logical step for him. And, you know, you and I are both white. Um, we're, I'm not going to pretend to understand what it's like to be black or a minority in this country. Um, I have, you know, friends that are minorities and friends that have talked to me about some of their experiences. Um, and they vastly differ from what I'm doing, vastly different from the life that I got to live. Um, and, you know, that's why these, you know, that's why black people, that's why a lot of these minorities are standing up for, you know, what they feel is right. And, you know, I, I don't blame them for that because the experience that I had and the experience you probably had are vastly different from the experiences that a lot of minorities and a lot of black people in this country have had. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, I, I will, I will never, you know, question the motives of anybody that, that is making this kind of stand and it huge personal sacrifice, but that part I, I think additionally gets complicated. And I guess that's the last thing I'll say about it uh, today, just because again, this is uh this is very raw. This is very new. I'm, Talking through this for the first time, I mean, I, I barely had time to wake up and work out and brush my teeth before I, you know, came in here and talked about this with you. So if I sound uh, unintelligent or inarticulate, it's just, you know, because I'm, I'm like really verbally processing this for the first time. But the, the other thing that I think needs to be examined and that it sounds like the players and the owners are going to discuss uh, this morning and I'm sure into this afternoon is for players like LeBron James, like Damian Lillard, like Giannis Antetokounmpo, any of those players that that feel comfortable making the stance, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, I imagine, you know, spearheading the Clippers, essentially agreeing to postpone the season, it is easier for those guys because they're going to yeah. be just fine. They've made an unbelievable amount of money. They're still going to get their endorsement money, and they still have a platform. But for the vast majority of players in the NBA, we've talked a lot about P.J. Dozier, who's, you know, finally coming into his own, who's sort of finding some, some solid footing with the Denver Nuggets. Uh, there are a lot of players in the NBA that really kind of fit that mold that – a, won't have the platform if the NBA is not there to give them a platform, and B, you know, can't necessarily afford to just say, hey, you know what, we're just going to take a couple years off in the in the prime of our career. Um, you know, maybe maybe they were going to, you know, donate the money if they had it. Maybe they just, you know, need that to live, but they don't have the same flexibility as the stars. And so I, I wonder I wonder what the resolution will be between sort of the, the upper class of players in the NBA in terms of earning and, and the lower class that are going to say, hey, you know, we understand, we, we support this, and we think that, you know, this is a well-intentioned protest and boycott, but at the end of the day, like, this is our living, and we need to maintain this. Yeah, and, I mean, Charles Barkley was kind of talking about it yesterday on uh, TNT. I was listening to him, and uh, he said that, you know, th this pandemic's been an inconvenience for him it hasn't been bad because he's made a lot of money. Um, he's made millions of dollars. He continues to make millions of dollars. He goes, this thing's really affected people. People have lost their jobs over this. And, and, you know, there are teams, I mean, like you mentioned, Kawhi, Paul George, Giannis, LeBron, um, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, all these guys have made their millions, have made money. They have things to fall back on if they don't play for the rest of the season or the rest of the year. If, if you're Chris Silva, you don't have that. You don't get, you know, this is, there's some, there's a time sensitive element to this where players have to understand. And, and, you know, especially the players that aren't making the, the millions, the multi-millions that they're going to make that LeBron's going to make have to know what the next steps are going to be because they have to go find a way to make money um, and, and find a way to support themselves and the lifestyles that they live. And, um, 
it's going to be interesting. Uh, the next few days, the next few weeks are going to be very, very intriguing. Number one, to see what kind of change comes from this. Um, if there's any legislation, if there's anything like that, that, that comes from this boycott, this protest, this strike, whatever you want to call it. Um, and whether or not players can, can make money if once the NBA comes back, mm-hmm. um, whenever that might be, because there are some real life consequences if you don't return to, to playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some real life consequences if you do return to playing um, in terms of your message and, and things like that. So um, I don't know what's next. I think Chris, Chris Weber said it yesterday when he was talking on TNT. He's like, I don't know what's next. And, and frankly, I don't care what's next. Um, but you have to have some answers over the next day or two um, mm-hmm. to really know kind of where things are headed with the NBA and, and what they're trying to do. Oh, man, I mean, just just as everything has started to get back to normal, just in terms of our routines, in terms of what we're used to, and, and the NBA bubble was working fantastically, and the playoffs were amazingly entertaining, and uh, just like with COVID-19, something more important takes precedence and reminds us of how fragile this is, of how of how delicate this balancing act all is. Um, and again, like I, I support the players doing this, but I, I hope that they can, I hope that they can come together today or in the next couple days and put together a very specific vision of what they want to achieve how they plan to achieve it and, and again what they can do because this is I mean this is a business and, and they should use their platforms but they also you know have to consider all the other employees. There are four hundred and fifty jobs. These are the four hundred and fifty best basketball players in the country or in the world really and the vast majority of them, you know, rely on this. They rely on this. This is their job. Um there's a very, very, very small percentage at the top. But uh, in a year that just never ceases to amaze me, Colin, it's been I think without a doubt, the hardest year of most people's lives. And for those of us that are lucky enough to get through that, and I don't say that at all, ironically or tongue in cheek, for those of us that are lucky enough to get through 2020, it seems like maybe, maybe the, maybe the long-term future, the long-term outcome of some of the most, you know, horrible, uncomfortable conversations and moments that we've had globally, nationally, even locally, uh, you know, hopefully this is going to be, I mean, certainly documentaries are going to be made. Books are going to be written about this year. But hopefully all of this um, all of this discomfort with dealing with the pandemic, not dealing with the pandemic, the politicization of the pandemic with, you know, increasingly uh, just just very plain conversations about racial injustice. Hopefully all of these things on the other side will, will lead us to a much better place. But, I mean, this is uh, you, you have to hope that this is sort of the you know, the night is darkest just before the dawn because it just, just when things start to feel like they're getting back to normal, again, we're reminded of our, of our own fragility, of our own um, humanity and all of its rawness and all of its awfulness a lot of the times. But I mean, we, we have to collectively be able to, to use this for growth and, and navigate this as intelligently and compassionately as we can. So I, uh, I really appreciate you doing this. I know this is not normally what what we do. Not that you have any shortage of opinions, but you are a reporter and um, you, you're you have a, a duty to objectivity. And this is um, I don't know. I guess we've done this uh, relatively objectively, but it's it's hard to not to not get emotional and to not incorporate our feelings into some of these things. So I know it's a little bit different for some of you listening than, than what we normally do. But Colin, I you know appreciate you always for your hard work as a reporter, and I appreciate your your candor and your emotion in this uh, and and talking about something complicated like this. Yeah. And, and I think it's just, you know, it's so cliche to say it's an important conversation to have, but it's, it's important. And um, 
I think it's really important too to discuss things maturely instead of name calling and instead of firing back at, at tweets. And I think it's, you know, what I might think is not what everybody thinks. I understand that. Um, but I think it's important to hear both sides of things. And I think it's important to understand where, whether you're left, right, you know, center, up, down, diagonal, whatever the hell you are in terms of your political affiliation to listen to the other side, whether you agree with it or not, whether you think it's, you know, one of the smartest arguments that the people can make or one of the dumbest. Um, it's important to listen and understand that your background is not the same as everybody else's background. And um, the things you've experienced in life can vastly differ between um, people, between races, between genders, sexes. Um, and it's important to understand that there's a lot of pain that people have lived through um, whether that's, you know, they're, you know, that they brought on themselves or not. Um, it's important to understand that not everyone's lived the same life. And, um, it's really, really important to discuss the fact of how can we advance change and make it so that this country, which was built on acceptance and built on the merging of different cultures and ethnicities and you know, races and genders, how can we get back to that point? How, or really, it's never been to that point, but how can we get it to where every race, every gender feels comfortable in this country? And until we get there, I don't know if this is going to change or stop at any point. Yeah, and that's, that's uh, I don't know, that's the hard part because there's always going to be bad people in every industry. There's, I mean, there's, there's, there's going to be racism. There's going to be prejudice. I don't know if there's any way to... To get rid of that, but I, I, you know, whatever we can do to disassemble the institutional racism, the institutional prejudices, I, I guess, is sort of the the immediate goal here. But um, Colin, all that was well said. I, I can't add anything else to that, and I, I will. I'll just say, you know, by the next time we talk, I, I think maybe we'll have some clarity on on where where this will where where this is leading us for all sports. Again, for the NBA, for Major League Baseball, we have seen, um, and and for other sports that have yet to start, you know, what, what is their contribution to this conversation all of that remains to be seen um so we'll we'll talk about it as soon as we get more clarity on it and um and, and two uh, just to i guess return to, to where we started all this uh, any more carolina basketball as we get it um here in the next uh, in the next couple weeks whether it's schedule whether it's any breaking news from practice we will have all that this is normally what we do here on the hard foul so please rate review and subscribe to this podcast I don't know. I feel weird closing this out today. I don't know how to do it. But rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. Follow Colin on Twitter, at Colin Taylor. Read him on GamecockCentral.com. And for Colin, I'm Pearson. And uh, whether it's whether it's basketball, whether it's social, whatever it is, if it pertains to the world of sports and basketball specifically, I guess we'll be talking about it next time. So thanks for listening. We'll talk to you then. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.